Chapter the thirty fourth of Poor Miss Finch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Poor Miss Finch by Wilkie Collins. Part the second. Chapter the thirty fourth. Nugent shows his hand. I closed the first part of my narrative on the day of the operation, the twenty fifth of June. I opened the second part between six and seven weeks later, on the ninth of August. How did the time pass at Dimchurch in that interval? Searching backwards in my memory, I call to life again the domestic history of the six weeks. It looks on retrospection miserably dull and empty of incident. I wonder when I contemplate it now how we got through that weary interval, how we bore that forced inaction, that unrelieved oppression of suspense, changing from bedroom to sitting-room, from sitting-room back to bedroom, with the daylight always shut out, with the bandages always on, except when the surgeon looked at her eyes, Lucilla bore the imprisonment, and worse than imprisonment, the uncertainty of her period of probation, with the courage that can endure anything, the courage sustained by hope, with books, with music, with talk, above all, with love to help her. She counted her way calmly through the dull succession of hours and days, till the time came which was to decide the question in dispute between the oculists, the terrible question of which of the two, Mr. Sebright or her grosser, was right. I was not present at the examination which finally decided all doubt. I joined Oscar in the garden, quite as incapable as he was of exerting the slightest self-control. We paced silently backwards and forwards on the lawn, like two animals in a cage. Zilla was the only witness present, when the German examined our poor darling's eyes. Nugent, engaging to wait in the next room, and announced the result from the window. As the event turned out, Herr Grosser was beforehand with him. Once more we heard his broken English shouting, <laughs> Once more we beheld his huge silk handkerchief waving at the window. I turned sick and faint under the excitement of the moment, under the rapture, it was nothing less, of hearing those three electrifying words. She will see. Mercy, how we did abuse Mr. Sebright when we were all reunited again in Lucilla's room. The first excitement over, we had our difficulties to contend with next. From the moment when she was positively informed that the operation had succeeded, our once patient Lucilla developed into a new being. She now rose in perpetual revolt against the caution which still deferred the day on which she was to be allowed to make the first trial of her sight. It required all my influence, backed by Oscar's entreaties, and strengthened by the furious foreign English of our excellent German surgeon. Herr Grosser had a temper of his own, I can tell you. To prevent her from breaking through the medical discipline, which held her in its grasp. When she became quite unmanageable, and vehemently abused him to his face, our good Grosser used to swear at her, in a compound bad language of his own, with a tremendous aspiration at the beginning of it, 
which always set matters right by making her laugh. I see him again as I write, leaving the room on these occasions, with his eyes blazing through his spectacles, and his shabby hat cocked sideways on his head. So, you little spitfire finch, if you touch that bandages when I've put him on, oh, damn, damn, I say no more good-bye. From Lucilla I turn to the two twins next. Tranquilized as to the future, after his interview with Mr. Sebright, Oscar presented himself at his best during the time of which I am now writing. Lucilla's main reliance in her days in the darkened room was on what her lover could do to relieve and encourage her. He never once failed her. His patience was perfect. His devotion was inexhaustible. It is sad to say so in view of what happened afterwards, but I only tell a necessary truth when I declare that he immensely strengthened his hold on her affections, in those last days of her blindness, when his society was most precious to her. Ah, uh, how fervently she used to talk of him, when she and I were left together at night. Forgive me if I leave this part of the history of the courtship untold. I don't like to write of it. I don't like to think of it. Let us talk of something else. Nugent comes next. I would give a great deal, poor as I am, to be able to leave him out. It is not to be done. I must write about that lost wretch, and you must read about him, whether we like it or not. The days of Lucilla's imprisonment were also the days when my favourite disappointed me for the first time. He and his brother seemed to change places. It was Nugent now who appeared to disadvantage by comparison with Oscar. He surprised and grieved his brother by leaving Browndown. "'All I can do for you, I have done,' he said. "'I can be of no further use for the present to anybody. Let me go. I am stagnating in this miserable place. I must and will have change.' Oscar's entreaties, in Nugent's present frame of mind, failed to move him. Away he went one morning, without bidding anybody good-bye. He had talked of being absent for a week. He remained away for a month. We heard of him, leading a wild life among a vicious set of men. It was reported that a frantic restlessness possessed him, which nobody could understand, he came back as suddenly as he had left us. His variable nature had swung round in the interval to the opposite extreme. He was full of repentance for his reckless conduct. He was in a state of depression which defied rousing. He despaired of himself and his future. Sometimes he talked of going back to America, and sometimes he threatened to close his career by enlisting as a private soldier. Would any other person in my place have seen which way these signs pointed? I doubt it. If that person's mind had been absorbed, as mine was, in watching Lucilla day by day, even if I had been a suspicious woman, by nature, which, thank God, I am not, my distrust must have lain dormant in the all-subduing atmosphere of suspense hanging heavily on me morning, noon, and night in the darkened room, 
so much briefly for the sayings and doings of the persons principally concerned in this narrative during the six weeks which separated part the first from part the second i begin again on the ninth of august this was the memorable day chosen by herr grosse for risking the experiment of removing the bandage and permitting lucilla to try her sight for the first time conceive for yourselves don't ask me to describe the excitement that raged in our obscure little circle now that we were standing face to face with that grand event in our lives which i promised to relate in the opening sentence of these pages i was the earliest riser at the rectory that morning my excitable french blood was in a fever i was irresistibly reminded of myself at a time long past the time when my glorious pratolungo and i succumbing to fates and tyrants fled to england for safety martyrs to that ungrateful republic long live the republic for which i laid down my money and my husband his life i opened my window and hailed the good omen of the sunrise in a clear sky just as i was turning away again from the view i saw a figure steal out from the shrubbery and appear on the lawn the figure came nearer i recognized oscar what in the world are you doing there at this time of the morning i called he lifted his finger to his lips and came closer under my window before he answered hush he said don't let lucilla hear you come down to me as soon as you can i am waiting to speak to you when i joined him in the garden i saw directly that something had gone wrong bad news from browndown i asked nugent has disappointed me he answered do you remember the evening when you met me after my consultation with mr Zebright? perfectly i told you that i meant to ask nugent to leave dimchurch on the day when lucilla tried her sight for the first time well well he refuses to leave dimchurch have you explained your motives to him carefully before i asked him to go i told him how impossible it was to say what might happen i reminded him that it might be of the utmost importance to me to preserve the impression now in lucilla's mind for a certain time only after lucilla could see i promised the moment she became reconciled to the sight of me to recall him and in his presence to tell her the truth all that i said to him and how do you think he answered me did he positively refuse no he walked away from me to the window and considered a little then he turned round suddenly and said what did you tell me was mr sebright's opinion mr sebright thought she would be relieved instead of being terrified in that case what need is there for me to go away you can acknowledge at once that she has seen your face and not mine he put his hands in his pockets when he had said that you know nugent's downright way and turned back to the window as if he had settled everything 
"'What did you say on your side?' "'I said, "'Suppose Mr. Sebright is wrong.' "'He only answered, "'Suppose Mr. Sebright is right.' "'I followed him to the window. "'I never heard him speak so sourly to me "'as he spoke at that moment. "'What is your objection to going away for a day or two? "'I asked. "'My objection is soon stated.' he answered i am sick of these everlasting complications it is useless and cruel to carry on the deception any longer mr sebright's advice is the wise advice and the right advice let her see you as you are with that answer he walked out of the room something has upset him i can't imagine what it is do pray see what you can make of him my only hope is in you. I own I felt reluctant to interfere. Suddenly and strongly as Nugent had altered his point of view, it seemed to me undeniable that Nugent was right. At the same time, Oscar looked so disappointed and distressed that it was really impossible on that day above all others to pain him additionally by roundly saying no. I undertook to do what I could, and I inwardly hoped that circumstances would absolve me from the necessity of doing anything at all. Circumstances failed to justify my selfish confidence in them. I was out in the village after breakfast on a domestic errand, connected with the necessary culinary preparations for the reception of Herr Grosse, when I heard my name pronounced behind me and turned round, found myself face to face with Nugent. "'Has my brother been bothering you this morning?' he asked. "'Before I was up.' I instantly noticed a return in him, as he said that, to the same dogged, ungracious manner which had perplexed and displeased me at my last confidential interview with him in the rectory garden. "'Oscar has been speaking to me this morning,' I replied about me about you you have distressed and disappointed him i know i know oscar is worse than a child i am beginning to lose all patience with him i am sorry to hear you say that nugent you have borne with him so kindly thus far surely you can make allowances for him to-day his whole future may depend on what happens in lucilla's sitting-room a few hours hence he is making a mountain out of a molehill and so are you those words were spoken bitterly almost rudely i answered sharply on my side you are the last person living who has any right to say that oscar is in a false position towards lucilla with your knowledge and consent in your brother's interests you agreed to fraud that has been practised on her in your brother's interests again you are asked to leave dimchurch why do you refuse i refuse because i have come round to your way of thinking what did you say of oscar and of me in the summer-house you said we were taking a cruel advantage of lucilla's blindness you were right it was cruel not to have told her the truth i won't be a party to concealing the truth from her any longer I refuse to persist in deceiving her. 
in meanly deceiving her on the day when she recovers her sight it is entirely beyond my power to describe the tone in which he made that reply i can only declare that it struck me dumb for the moment i drew a step nearer to him with vague misgivings in me i looked him searchingly in the face he looked back at me without shrinking well he asked with a hard smile which defied me to put him in the wrong i could discover nothing in his face i could only follow my instincts as a woman those instincts warned me to accept his explanation i am to understand then that you have decided on staying here i said certainly what do you propose to do when herr grosse arrives and we assemble in lucilla's room i propose to be present among the rest of you at the most interesting moment of lucilla's life no you don't propose that i do you have forgotten something mr nugent de bourg what is it madame pretolungo you have forgotten that lucilla believes the brother with the disfigured face to be you and the brother with the fair complexion to be oscar you have forgotten that the surgeon has expressly forbidden us to agitate her by entering into any explanations before he allows her to use her eyes you have forgotten that the very deception which you have just positively refused to go on with will be nevertheless a deception continued if you are present when lucilla sees your own resolution pledges you not to enter the rectory doors until lucilla has discovered the truth in those words i closed the vice on him i had got mr nugent de bourg he turned deadly pale his eyes dropped before mine for the first time thank you for reminding me he said i had forgotten he pronounced those submissive words in a suddenly lowered voice something in his tone or something in the dropping of his eyes set my heart beating quickly with a vague expectation which i was unable to realize to myself you agree with me i said that you cannot be one amongst us at the rectory what will you do i will remain at Browndown, he answered i felt he was lying don't ask me for my reasons i have no reasons to give when he said i will remain at Browndown, i felt he was lying why not do what oscar asked of you i went on if you are absent you may as well be in one place as in another there is plenty of time still to leave dimchurch he looked up as suddenly as he had looked down do you and oscar think me a stock or a stone he burst out angrily what do you mean who are you indebted to for what is going to happen to-day he went on more and more passionately you are indebted to me who among you all stood alone in refusing to believe that she was blind for life i did who brought the man here who has given her back her sight i brought the man i am the one person who is to be left in ignorance of how it ends the others are to be present i am to be sent away the others are to see it i am to hear by post 
if any of you think of writing to me what she does what she says how she looks at the first heavenly moment when she opens her eyes on the world he flung up his hands in the air and burst out savagely with a bitter laugh i astonish you don't i i am claiming a position which i have no right to occupy what interest can i feel in it oh god what do i care about the woman to whom i have given a new life his voice broke into a sob at those last wild words he tore at the breast of his coat as if he was suffocating and turned and left me i stood rooted to the spot in one breathless instant the truth broke on me like a revelation at last i had penetrated the terrible secret nugent loved her my first impulse when i recovered myself hurried me at the top of my speed back to the rectory for a moment or two i think i must really have lost my senses i felt a frantic suspicion that he had gone into the house and that he was making his way to lucilla at that moment when i found that all was quiet when zillah had satisfied me that no visitor had come near our side of the rectory i calmed down a little and went back to the garden to compose myself before i ventured into lucilla's presence after a while i got over the first horror of it and saw my own position plainly there was not a living soul at dimchurch in whom i could confide come what might of it in this dreadful emergency i must trust in myself alone i had just arrived at that startling conclusion i had shed some bitter tears when i remembered how hardly i had judged poor oscar on more than one occasion decided that my favourite nugent was the most hateful living and that i would leave nothing undone that craft of a woman could compass to drive him out of the place when i was forced back to present necessities by the sound of zillah's voice calling to me from the house i went to her directly the nurse had a message for me from her young mistress my poor lucilla was lonely and anxious she was surprised at my leaving her she insisted on seeing me immediately i took my first precaution against a surprise from nugent as i crossed the threshold of the door our dear child must not be disturbed by visitors to-day i said to zillah if mr nugent de bourg comes here and asks for her don't tell lucilla tell me this said i went upstairs and joined my darling in the darkened room. End of chapter the thirty fourth.